Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Mississippi Hospital Association is continuing to push for a version of Medicaid expansion they say would cost nothing to the state government. Then, raising awareness of tornado dangers, even in the middle of a hurricane country. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, future college students can now apply for federal college aid. We'll talk about getting to college. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Advocates for Medicaid expansion in, expansion in Mississippi say the state has lost $6 billion since the Affordable Care Act took effect in 2014. The state's Democratic Legislative Caucus is holding hearings with experts who say the program will save lives and create jobs. Jesse Cross Call is with the Washington-based Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier what his analysis shows about expanding health care coverage to the working poor. As you know, Mississippi is one of 14 states that has not expanded Medicaid. Um, for the states that have, there's at this point a tremendous amount of evidence about what Medicaid expansion means for their state budgets. Uh, we have seen that there's been a number of states where Medicaid expansion has essentially paid for itself, where because the federal match rate for Medicaid expansion, where the federal government is paying 90 percent of the cost of the coverage, um, that has triggered savings within state budgets across the country because when people gain health care, states don't have to spend as much money on like behavioral health programs that serve people with low incomes who are uninsured. Uh, it means that states don't have to send as much money to hospitals to cover their uncompensated care costs because there's fewer uninsured people coming through their doors. And so... The, um, you know, not every state, but many states have found that Medicaid expansion has essentially paid for itself. Do you think that that could be the case for Mississippi? Um, that would depend, you know, on basically on Mississippi's Medicaid program, how they choose to fund it. And so I know that the Mississippi Hospital Association has essentially said they will cover the entire state share of Medicaid expansion in Mississippi. And that's something that, for example, the state of Virginia has done, where their hospitals stepped forward and said, the whole state share we're going to cover. And that was a big, um, that was one of the big drivers to get Virginia to adopt the Medicaid expansion in 2018. And, and so you're talking about that 10% because the federal government will cover 90, but you have that 10%. Correct. There's been some states that have been adamantly opposed 
um, Mississippi is one of them. But some states have coming around that are conservative. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, it's correct that there are more and more states, red, blue, purple, that have been adopting the Medicaid expansion. The hold, some of the holdout states are in the South, but there are a number of states in the South that have expanded. So I'm thinking about your neighbors in Louisiana and Arkansas, um, Virginia has, Kentucky has. And at the end of the day, we're seeing that policymakers are seeing that hundreds of thousands of people who do not have health coverage today gain health care coverage when their states expand Medicaid, that it's something that improves the health of their residents. You know, at this point, expansion's been around for five years, so there's a lot of evidence about people being healthier, um, health coverage making it easier for them to keep their jobs. And then also when they look at the dollars and cents of it, it's a huge infusion of federal dollars into their state, and the states have to put up a very small share of that cost. Is there a downside? Uh, I think the downside has been waiting. (laughs) You know, the downside is... um, Because when it first came out, it was 100%, then it went to 95%. Yeah, um, but for starting next year, it's 90%, and then every year thereafter. It is 90%. So what would you say to folks here to really get them to consider it? I would point to the evidence that we have. You know, that um, originally a number of states did not expand because they said they wanted to see what the evidence is. They wanted to see how it worked elsewhere. I think now, after five years, there's a lot of evidence. The evidence that it leads to a huge drop in the uninsured rate. There's evidence showing that it makes people healthier. And there's evidence showing that it is, you know, in some cases a net positive for a state budget. In other cases, it's sort of a wash. You know, so it's not a huge financial commitment for states to make. And do you find that premiums vary, or is it pretty standardized? So in Medicaid, there are no premiums. Medicaid does does not charge premiums. Um, So, you know, some states... Um, have gotten federal approval to assess premiums on people with higher incomes, you know, those in the Medicaid eligibility group with higher incomes. But because we're talking about a population that has very low incomes, you know, that doesn't have disposable income, then it actually makes, makes a lot of sense for them to not have premiums because otherwise they probably wouldn't be able to sign up for coverage or maintain their coverage. Jesse Crosscall call from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Richard Robertson is with the Mississippi Hospital Association. His organization is pushing a program called Mississippi True. It would tax hospitals and charge small premiums to patients in exchange for expanding Medicaid in the state. He explains to our Desiree Frazier. What we're trying to propose is a, is a program to cover uninsured working adults in the state of Mississippi who can't afford health insurance coverage right now. Um, And and what we're proposing is uh, skin in the game, where it would be funded by plan member payments. Plan members would pay a small monthly payment as a premium payment to fund their share of the program and get health insurance coverage for about $20 a month. Um, Hospitals would pay an additional hospital tax 
to fund the additional state share that would be needed to fund the premium payments. And then the rest of the money for the premium payments would be drawn down from the federal government. And so by combining plan member contributions, hospital taxes, and money from the federal government, you're able to provide an insurance product for traditionally low-income, uninsured working adults who right now are foregoing health care, who, um, who aren't accessing the right care at the right time and the right place, and you're able to give them a healthier option to get coverage and to make sure that they're staying healthy so they can continue to work. Is it a form of Medicaid expansion? It is a variation on it. What we're talking about doing is doing this through what's called a Medicaid waiver. The, the money has to come through the Medicaid agency. That's the way the federal government has set this up. There are no other agencies in the state of Mississippi that we could leverage or go to to be able to draw down the federal money. So the state Medicaid agency is the agency that we would work with. And so what we're talking about doing is a separate program. Traditional Medicaid expansion would simply be drawing down the money. The state would pay its 10% share, and then the, the Medicaid patients would just simply get covers through traditional Medicaid. What we're talking about doing is something different. We're talking about a hospital-owned provider health insurance company, essentially, that would provide coverage, but for whom the hospitals and plan members would pay the state share premium tax. And so by doing that, you're putting skin in the game for providers, particularly hospitals, skin in the game for patients who are contributing to their health and well-being, and also leveraging that money that is available through the Affordable Care Act under a Medicaid expansion model but what we're going to do is going to do it differently. We're not going to do traditional expansion. We're going to do a Mississippi modified version of it to make it unique for Mississippi to fit the needs that we see need to be met in Mississippi. We understand that there's more than 300,000 uninsured people in Mississippi. You're saying this would take care of 200,000 adults. What about that other 100,000 or more? We've talked about the, the number of folks who would be eligible. The range that, that has been given is anywhere from 163,000 to 300,000. We think the numbers are probably closer to 200,000 than they are to 300,000. But whatever that population is that would qualify for this program would go into this program, whether it's 200,000, 250,000, or 300,000. Whatever that number is, they would still be eligible for the program. So we don't anticipate there being a gap of 100,000 people who wouldn't be eligible for this. If they fit the federal poverty levels for qualification, then they would go into this program. Is this something that will be brought up in a bill? We think so, yes. We plan to introduce legislation next spring um, and, and work with members in the House, work with members in the Senate, and work with our leadership to try to put forth a proposal that makes sense for the state of Mississippi. One of the most important things we can do is to do something positive that's going to have all the economic benefits coming back to the state's bottom line. We don't want to put the state over the barrel or expose the state to undue risk in trying to, trying to take care of our population with a program such as this. So what we're proposing to do is, is basically hospitals would bear the risk of this program either working or not. And, um, and that, that mitigates the exposure to the state. So we hope we can get bipartisan support for this when we talk about it during the legislative session. Richard Robertson of the Mississippi Hospital Association with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, raising awareness of tornado dangers even in the middle of hurricane country. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Emergency management officials are urging Mississippians not to let their guard down when it comes to severe weather. 
Governor Phil Bryant has declared this week Fall Severe Weather Preparedness Week. Officials say this year has been one of the most active for tornadoes in state history, with a total of 86. Ray Coleman with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency tells MPB's Ezra Wall, severe weather preparedness starts now. I know here in Mississippi we worry about, you know, tropical season as well we should. But the good thing that we have with our technology and science and, and, and tropical season is that we can see hurricanes, tropical storms, these systems weeks away. You know, we, we start talking about it and freaking out about it two weeks in advance. When we talk about false and weather preparedness, those are the things that happen a whole lot quicker and, in my opinion, are, are far more dangerous because you, you can't really predict them. Yes, you can predict when we're going to have kind of, you know, a bad weather day, but you don't know the extent of the damage until the, the actual event occurs. So with severe weather preparedness, we were asking folks just to kind of start having those conversations now at home as far as what you can do to be better prepared, whether it's an emergency supply kit, uh, that safe place in your home or place of business, um, your church, you name it. Have those conversations now with your family, uh, your friends, your loved ones uh, to say, what if, play those weather scenarios now. Uh, so when those bad weather events do happen, and they will happen in Mississippi, uh, you're better prepared for it. What kinds of weather events are we talking about in the fall? Is it pretty much this is tornado season, so look out for uh, the potential tornadoes? Like we've we've had some bad weather that had caused some tornado warnings even this week. You know, everybody from Mississippi will know what I mean uh, when I say this. It's kind of like your soup is your, man. You pick your weather. Um, you may wake up one morning and it's it's, you know, 75 degrees in the middle of November or December, or it may be 20 degrees. You never know. Um, so when we talk about the threats that we experience during fall severe weather preparedness week and just the fall severe weather season in general, we're talking about thunderstorms, uh, flooding and flash flooding, even a little bit of winter weather. I don't know if you remember last year, um, we experienced, you know, some snow in certain areas, um, especially in, in, in North Mississippi and Central Mississippi. So it's one of those things that we, we'll, we'll get a little bit of it all, man. Our, our biggest concern, obviously, is the uh, threat of severe storms and tornadoes because this is when we see it kick back off. We've had a, a pretty decent break now since, since you know, early May. Uh, we haven't had any, you know, real major tornadic activity. But I think if people need a reminder, look no further than the damage that we saw in, in the Dallas uh, metroplex area a couple of days ago to remind us that that season is now here. When you're putting together a kit to be prepared for uh, the possibility of a tornado, what needs to go in that preparedness kit? So here's the beauty of a of an emergency supply kit. It's one of those things where if you've made it, if you've done it for, for hurricane season, you're already done. So that's the good news. A lot of those things, most of those things that you have in your emergency supply kit are going to be uh, consistent with what you need in this moment because at the end of the day, you're putting together a package that if you have to leave your home, what would you need? Bottled water, batteries, cell phone charger, canned goods. All of those things matter in hurricane season, and they matter in fall severe weather preparedness um, areas as well. So, so that's a good thing. As far as, you know, saying, you know, where am I going to go for three weeks at a time? No, perhaps we're not talking about that. But a new conversation can be if you are separated from a family member because you can't get into your neighborhood because it has been damaged, where are you going to meet? Are you going to meet at the local church? Is it going to be a McDonald's? Um, we're talking about a safe place inside your home. And, and, and if the fact is that you are under a tornado warning, uh, where is your safe place in your home? Well, we ask you to evacuate if necessary during hurricane season. We may ask you to shelter in place during tornado season. So where is that safest place in your home? Go ahead and think about that now because you've got to save yourself a lot of time and, and, and heartache on the, on the front end. You know, as, as part of this preparedness week, uh, fall severe weather preparedness week, one of the big events of the of the week in terms of uh, preparedness 
happens uh, later this morning at 9.15 during a, a statewide tornado drill. What's going to happen then? What does that entail? Well, we encourage everyone, and I mean everyone, to participate in the tornado drill. It's one of those things where if you're at school, um, I remember when I was younger, they had to get out in the hallway, right, um, and, and kind of, you know, some of the position as far as tucking and covering your, your head and neck area. Um, we want you to practice at school. We want you to practice at your place of business. I think we're all pretty good about where would we go in our home, you know, if we were under the threat of a tornado. I think we all, if you had that conversation or at least played that scenario out, um, what about when you're at work, though? Where are you going to go? Where's your safe place at work? So go ahead and think about that now. Those are the things that you can kind of put into play uh, during the tornado drill at 915. All right, uh, Ray, where can uh, people find MEMA and uh, more disaster preparedness information uh, if they're looking for a, a little deeper dive? Facebook and Twitter. Facebook, you can just search for us, Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. On Twitter, we're at MSEMA. We're always putting out preparedness and emergency information uh, on those platforms. We have our website, www.msema. Org. We're always putting information up there. I also encourage you to, to check out our, our, our weather partners as well. Our friends at the National Weather Service, uh, we could not do this messaging, not only this week, but just throughout the year without them. They are the true subject matter experts uh, when it comes to all things weather-related. So uh, we ask you to visit their, their local websites, National Weather Service Jackson, New Orleans, Memphis, and Mobile. Those are the areas that cover um, our great state of Mississippi. So go ahead and visit their website. It's simple Google. Uh, for NWS Jackson, we'll give you their website, and they have great information on forecasts, uh, preparedness tips, all of those different things. Ray Coleman is with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Ray, thank you very much for this information. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Getting older, are there any kind of activities that we can do or that are associated with living healthier as we age? Certainly most people don't mind getting older as long as they can stay active and enjoy the things that they uh, normally like to do. So there's a new study uh, where they looked at about 900 individuals to sort of see, tease out certain activities that were associated with healthier living. And they looked at 45-year-olds as they got older and, and tried to, to look for some of the things. People who tended to walk more slowly at age 45 and up, they had signs of premature accelerated aging both physically and cognitively in the way that they thought. So very interesting. So the faster you go, the faster you walk, even at a younger age, that's associated with uh, not having as many uh, negative effects as you grow older. Uh, And this is based on a number of things. So they looked at MRI scans of uh, slow walkers at age 45 and noticed that they had smaller brain volume, uh, more cortical thickening. The cortex is the outer portion of the brain that controls a lot of the processes. So it was thinner in these individuals. Just a lot of changes that go along with premature aging. So walk faster. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Applications are now open for students trying to get federal aid to go to college next year. The free application for federal student aid can be filled out between now and June. But experts say students should turn in the forms as soon as possible. But is college for everyone? Well, Tori Langworthy from the Get to College program says it depends on what you mean by college. She explains to MPB's Alexandra Watts. We believe it's never really too early to start getting this information. If students can know exactly what they need to do, sophomore, junior year, that's great because it helps them be prepared and on time As because when senior year hits, everything's happening. You know, a lot of different events and a lot of students are working. They have jobs, and so to be able to have this information beforehand is great so they can stay on top of deadlines and things like that. So separate um, from your organization, what um, do you kind of see that kids in school are actually, the information that they're getting about going on to college, is that something that's really touched upon a lot at school or talked about a lot? I think they're, you know, we work with the counselors specifically, so I think counselors and teachers at schools are charged with kind of giving out this information to their students, the school district, but also their, it depends on the community. You know, in the Delta, we're hoping to work more there in in the next couple of years and really help get this information out. But there's different community centers, a lot of community centers or nonprofit organizations that are out there in different communities. But for us, it's okay, we have this information. How can we get it out to students? So that's why we thought, let's have this community night. We've been in the schools. Now let's try to go toward the community and go from there. But I think a lot of students, if we're being honest, get some of their information from social media. You know, they're looking at social media on Facebook or going on their websites. And a lot of times schools will have college fairs where they bring in recruiters. And so they get some of their information from college recruiters as well. Why is it important to do outreach about higher education, um, not just in Mississippi, but especially in the Delta region, in the Delta area? Well, one, we define college as anything post-secondary. A lot of time when you hear college, you automatically think four years of bachelor's degree. But that can mean an associate degree or that can mean a certificate, a trade and things like that. And we think it's important for students to know their options. We know that it's going to be important to have some type of trade certification or some sort of degree. So we believe that getting this information out and saying, you might not have seen anyone do this before you, but here's this information. Here's how you can do it. Here's ways that you can pay for it and things like that. Because it's not that our students in the state of Mississippi or in the Delta are not capable. They're beyond capable. They beyond have the talent. It's sometimes they just need the information so that they can go forward and do those things and get those degrees. And students are, you know, excited. I was just talking to a couple of students in the Delta the other day, and, you know, we have so many future doctors, lawyers, teachers um, coming out of the Delta, but it's just giving them that information, letting them know that there are options and how to access those different options. When is the good time to really start thinking about what you want to do um, after you um, after your senior year, whether that's going into a trade or going into a four-year institution? But, like, when's a really good time to start thinking about that? Well, they, they take the ACT um, middle of their – about February of their junior year. I think beginning of your junior year, it's time to really start thinking, okay, what am I interested in? A lot of students, if you ask them, Alexander, they would say, well, I know what I don't want to do. And that's okay. You know, like they know what they don't want to do, but they're not really sure what they do, what they are interested in. So I say junior year, start thinking about it. Maybe do some job shadowing. Look at what programs are offered locally in your community and then just go from there. But I think junior year is a great starting point. One thing that's really important is students know, like and we talk about this everywhere we go, is the fastest the free application for federal student aid 
and it opened up October 1st. And this is the gateway for federal grants. So it's important that students fill out this FAFSA and they can always contact Get to College if they need help with it. And also the HELP grant, the Higher Education Legislative Plan is a grant given by um, the Mississippi, it's, you apply for it through the Mississippi aid application and it could potentially pay full tuition at uh, Mississippi colleges and universities. So we always encourage students to fill out that application. And if they have questions, always refer back to gettocollege.org. Tori Langworthy is with the Woodward Hines Education Foundation and works with their Get to College program. She spoke with our Alexandra Watts. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.